0: Hello and welcome to episode seven. I tried to do Lang Goodman there. <laughs> seven of How Not, the brand new, shiny, sparkling, glistening podcast hosted by me, Luca Manning.
1: And me, Kim McCoy.
0: We are two gobby Scottish creatives who like to talk about the big stuff, and we thought that you might like to listen. So here we are. Our podcast is here to remind you to always be good troublemakers. Think big and ask how not. More importantly, though, how are you?
1: Good, thank you. Um, I went to see an, ex- an art exhibition this week. It was the oh, first one in, Oh, in Over a year. I went to see um, Tracy Emin and Edvard Munch at the Royal Academy. And it was amazing. Tracy Emin's work is just incredible. And there were these really, uh, really, really big canvases um, of hers. A couple of her neons. Um... And it was, yeah, it was just an absolute delight and it was so nice to be in a building with mm. art, in a building that wasn't a house. Um, and it was like, it was very civilised and there was, I guess they're restricting the amount of people that can go in there, but it was just, I was so happy to be back.
0: That's amazing. So you don't even have to have snobby folk breathing down your neck? No. Someone Another. else was talking to me about Tracy. I mean, this I think it was Sarah Coleman. Mm-hmm. There was some like interview, maybe it was to promote this thing. Yes, and it was, just yeah. how beautifully kind of authentic she is, you know, being like, yeah, I've been through this shit and yeah. it's, and I'm channeling it through my art. That's my narrative. Yeah. You know, just being really unapologetic about what her narrative is and where her art comes from and how her life and hardship has informed that and being like, yeah, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, she really like takes ownership of it. And that's impressive now, and even more impressive when she first started because mm. that was a big shake shake up to the system. Mm. Um, and she does lead on to what we're going to talk about later, but we'll save that. But um, yeah, I think that pro that interview was yeah kind of promoting this big show. And obviously, she's been unwell. She's been very unwell.
0: Yeah, cancer. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, all the thing Sarah was saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So a lot of the a lot of the pieces in the in the RA exhibition are um, are very like there's lots of reds and blacks and whites and there a lot of them are to do with kind of the female body and she was a big she said when she first saw Edvard Munch's work she said that she'd found a friend in art and so there's some pieces of his I guess that help to see where the inspiration is but for me her work was just it just like completely blew me away so that was my highlight of the week that's a delight yeah how about you How's your
0: week been? It's been really good, yeah. Busy, 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 to be honest. Um, what have I done? I mean, yesterday, I was telling you before this, yesterday I spent several hours in a pair of heels on top of a podium with the sun in my eyes in the name of... In the wind in your oh, hair. And to the wind <laughs> in my hair. Yeah, the fake wind <laughs> in my hair. Doing a really exciting shoot with a fantastic photographer called David Reese and mm-hmm. a, an amazing team... And that was really good fun, getting yeah. dressed up, getting my makeup done. Why the fuck not? Right. Um, yeah, so it's been great, to be honest. Um, some sh- some things I did write down that I seen him was like, oh, this is cool. In fact, a thing I read about this morning was Billy Porter. Yes. Which was, just blew me away. I mean, Billy Porter is like, just finally shining bright in the light that I feel like they were robbed of, who was robbed of for a long time in the entertainment industry and as a star of... The series pose that is amazing that you should all go and watch, like literally all go and watch it. That's an order, not even a suggestion. Mm-hmm. And um Billy Porter actually is, yeah, kind of I hate using the word come out, you know. Yeah. Like everyone says come out, but he's been open about his HIV status and the fact that he's been HIV positive for 14 years. Yeah. And has only just um publicly decided to share his status. But is the is the interview in the Hollywood something, is which is where the 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 story originates is really beautiful actually it's mm-hmm. really authentic and raw and and not sad yeah. actually, um, it's one of hope and and of and norm really normalizing it as well breaking mm-hmm. the stigma you know they're in a, but um, you know he he's undetectable because of the medication he's on which means he can happily be married and have loads of sex with his lovely husband and it's all fine. And yeah, I just think watching his character, Pray tell, who imposes HIV positive, mm-hmm. it's quite amazing looking at that now and, and knowing that Billy Porter was actually using that character as a vehicle to express yeah. his emotion. Yeah, absolutely. Because you think he's acting, but he's kind of not. Yeah. Which is amazing and now it makes a lot of sense, you know, um, with how amazing that portrayal is. But yeah, so that was an amazing thing I was reading about. Also, I noticed that the Heritage of Pride organisation that planned New York City Pride have made the decision to ban the NYPD, that's the New York Police Department, from Pride celebrations for the next five years, which was quite an amazing... You know, there's been organisations like Queer March and a few other that have been marching in the streets of New York like almost every night Mm -hmm. for months now probably years but i kind of um got to they came to my attention um during the black lives matter kind of resurgence in the summer and really just like showing up for their community in terms of like black trans joy and and there's a lot of music and community and houses and all that and it just looks incredible what they're doing, and I think this decision has been heavily influenced by organisations such as that. So yeah. the aim is that, you know, anyone can still attend the Pride celebration, but they will not support the attendance of police department groups, you know, okay. like the, the I can't remember what they're called, but like the NYPD, gay, whatever. Yeah. Um, And they're looking at, like, um, privately sourced security and using, like, community first response okay. training and stuff like that to... To secure the event, as opposed to having the police around, yeah, um, which I think is amazing, and and it absolutely addresses what the community that are that pride is for are are saying, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I guess it's um, that's what you want. You want people to sort of take into their own responsibility to safely conduct these absolutely events, and if you if someone takes. Or an organization is bold enough to say this is what we're gonna do, hopefully shine a light on the fact that it can be done, it can be done safely, dispel the myth that you need kind of crowd control of that kind of And uh, that's
0: what a lot of the time creates havoc, because yeah, there'd exactly. been um protests a few years ago in New York at Pride where people tried to stop the march and all that and then they were subsequently arrested because of the police presence they yeah. tried to stop and that, that actually happened at Glasgow Pride the last ever Glasgow Pride I went to I think um, where Police Scotland were allowed to lead the march mm-hmm. which just felt so wrong Yeah, you know um, so this, we're not even talking about them having a, a float we're talking about them leading the Pride march and protesters tried to stop it and were, were arrested put on trial and i don't think they were ever convicted but it just seems so backwards like to arrest the the folk that it's for and like you know pride isn't for the police like no no matter how you identify and if you work for that system then that's to me there's not an intersection where you should be allowed to be kind of you know I, i would question where you how you choose to present yourself at a pride celebration if you work in the police it's like are you there with your police man or woman hat on, or are you there just as a member of the queer community like, to yeah. show up? Because we all know how Pride started, especially it being New York City Pride, like where Stonewall is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it just seems a little wrong to have such a heavy police presence, if any at all. So, yeah, I kind of welcome that decision. I'll be really excited to see how it goes.
1: Definitely. I, and I think we should probably prepare ourselves for, if there is any kind of disruption, that that will be taken out of proportion.
0: Absolutely. But
1: I think it... Well, it's like... Um, the, in in the in Alex Vitale's book, The End of Policing, he talks about the kind of the policing of schools in America, and that a lot of schools have police officers kind of um, on, on site, the door, yeah. yeah, on site. And that um, you know, if the, if you had the, if you had a little park and you had two identical parks, and one was surrounded by police officers and one one wasn't, which is the one that feels like the safer, nicer place to yeah. be, right? And it's not the one that has the, all the police presence mm. there. So I think you're right about. Sometimes that that visible presence has it, the opposite effect of the one totally. that it, it's purported to have, right? Of creating safety. So yeah, yeah. I, I hope that they do a really brilliant job.
0: Sure yeah, it'll be exciting to see. Um, today I'm laughing because today we've swapped our cocktails for tea. Yeah. But we've got nice mugs. I've got divine on my mug, and we don't know who you've got.
1: No, and hopefully someone can tell us from afar. It looks like she's got she's got the body of a crab, and then the I'm gonna speech. say that
0: may not even be a she
1: they let's yeah yeah. um but no in fact they're not a crab human hybrid it's just a lovely scarf but
0: yeah kim says to me do they have crab legs and i was like no (laughs) no babe i think it's a scarf and then kim goes i don't want it then
1: yeah but um regardless of that very nice mugs anyway here we are shout
0: out to the priscilla palace for accommodating all our mug needs and kim i just think you need to go right on in and tell us what we're talking about today
1: Oh well, for a start, you sent me a voice note. I did, yeah. And I think it was like an hour.
0: No, an hour. <laughs> I spat at my teeth <laughs> I think It was an hour. I was long. like, <laughs> I know I can fucking talk, right? But that is a slight exaggeration. <laughs> oh, it was fifty nine minutes. Seven,
1: sent me another hour long voice note. It was like a minute and a half. But like the first thing you said was, "I think we should." No, I've been getting into this person, and I was like, "Stop the recording." Yes, they answered. Yeah. The yes. Um. I don't, I don't want to have children, and this episode is my child gift to my mother. <gasps> so this is it, because this this person is the hallowed holy ground to my mother. Wow. Um, and so here you go, mum. Strong family this your, connection. This is your child, um, your little poddy child. Yeah. So we are talking about the most very very beautiful and talented George Michael.
0: George Michael, yeah.
1: So when you sent me the hour-long voice note, um, what was it that made you, that drew you into that?
0: Well, because I'd always been aware of George Michael and, and like, I'd always admired George Michael, but I'd always had a slight disconnect where I was like, am I missing something? Like, of like, to gay men, George Michael is the Holy Grail, you know, yeah. especially with a lot of my pals here in the UK, and I was like, okay, I love, I, yeah, I love it, but like, I, the, I didn't feel that, yeah, sure, emotion in my heart. Uh-huh. And then it's taken a while, I guess, where I read *Straight Jacket*, but this book by Matthew Todd about kind of unpicking society's gay shame and George Michael um, would well, not society's gay shame, but the gay shame that you may feel growing up in society as a, as a symptom of growing up in society. And George Michael featured heavily in that book. And it was quite interesting to, you know, just read up a bit more. And then I just started to like slowly get more and more into it. And then the other night I was just listening to his music and was like, Oh my God, like that voice insane like like fuck off all the pop fame and amazing stuff first right yeah but just the voice yeah yeah is so good like the instrument is so powerful and the emotion and like i'd always been into this one recording Mm -hmm. and it's on this album that he did called songs from last century and it's i remember you the Mm -hmm. the standard and it's just him and harp And I was like, I'd always been really into that okay, and always loved that and knew how musical he was and how amazing he was because of that. But then it was only recently and then like getting into like some of the like meanings behind the songs and like reading up little bits about his life and then like sent you that voice note. And then because also my mate Jamie, who's like really into George Michael, had written this tune called George. And like I was like, send me that tune. And I wanted to know, I wanted to get inside Jamie's head and be like, what made you write this song about someone you know like jamie's not a singer and he wrote the lyrics and everything like dedicated Mm. george michael and like people like ian shaw you know i I know what george michael like has that place in their heart you know yeah yeah so really i just suddenly felt it like this little thing in my heart for george michael and was like lying on my bed just listening to the records and then um yeah sent you that voice note and then since then i've just been like oh my god blown away every day Because he's
1: actually not got that many albums to listen to, is the other thing. Um, He definitely was not kind of prolific in the sense that he would churn albums out. There's only like five studio albums and a couple of wham albums. Um, But when I, yeah, I I sat down. I mean, obviously, this was like Christmas being told um, that that this is what this is the one we're going to do. And it was sort of like, in a way, I was thinking, well, I don't really have to... It's not like some of the other topics where um, I really want to, like, dig into it. I was like, this is like... I ca- I have no memory of life before George <laughs> Michael, right? <sighs> and because I grew up and it was always all... Like, I cannot overstate h- how visible a presence he, is, he has been in my but life. That's
0: amazing and so interesting because I, I rang my mum. was like, oh, this week we're recording... A pod episode on George Michael, and she was like, "Yeah, remind me, like, what what did he do? Like, like my mom knew, like, but he wasn't. She wasn't big yeah, on yeah, George sure. Michael, yeah. So it's really interesting for me. It wasn't something that I grew up right with, you know, like yeah. always aware on the periphery, but
1: not like now.
0: I'm having my moment of like,
1: oh my god, yeah. like you know, and I. You know, there's some films and books and stuff that you wish you could watch slash read for the first time again. Mm. I'm very envious that you get to discover all this. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Because I, so my mum is like a a super a super music fan anyway. Um, but George has always had the sort of top spot in her heart, and we. Uh, she's been seen. She she saw him quite a lot of times. I I've been to see her uh, see him with her once. Um, And then, of course, then I moved to North London, and he's a North London boy, um, and his like his his favorite sushi place is like the one that I go to now, and so it's like woven right in there. Um, And I sent you a mess, I think around the time maybe we hadn't. I know, I think it's when I went to Scotland for that funeral. I sent you that picture of me drinking out a wine glass with yeah, George's yeah, face on that it. That was amazing. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, deep, deep, deep involvement in George Michael.
0: I want one of those candles where yeah. like George Michael's Jesus yes. on it.
1: Um, yeah. So when then when you mentioned it, I thought, well, here, as if I needed an excuse, here I'm, I'll just like listen through all the stuff. And when I sort of wrote down like the. Even just what were the singles from each album? I'm like, it was. Those albums are there are not many of them, but they are full mm. of incredible stuff. It wasn't just like here's an album and you might you, and you will have heard one of them maybe, and then the rest if you have the album. It was like, almost every one is a banger.
0: And they all meant something as yeah. well, which was quite amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, and you said because you also well, okay, let's not get too excited here. Like maybe shall shall we? Did you just listen to George Michael? Did you go back to Wham?
0: I didn't go back to Wham. Okay. Like, I mean, I'd, I obviously, like, I had a couple of blasts of Club Tropicana, sure. right? Of course I did. Sure. Um, but I didn't go back to Wham. I was more... I was... Yeah, I was more listening to, to George himself, really. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I didn't really look into Wham too much. Tell us about Wham. Well, yeah, I mean... Because well, Wham's were, where it all began, Where it all
1: right? kicked off, yeah. And he... So... He and Andrew originally met at school. Yeah. Um, And I think over time, and I think George in interviews was always really clear about this, that Andrew originally got a really hard time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And Like being kind of... People would ask what what the point of him was and all that stuff. And obviously he then made the decision post-WHAM to not not
0: pursue. I think, yeah, he's kind of become quite jaded by the industry. Yeah, yeah. Because... George it was had horrible all, all their success, yeah. su- success, and Andrew was treated as a sort of spare part. Yeah, when and 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 I think George Michael speaks really fondly of Andrew and and Fairly, yeah. and and is is never get, is never kind of succumbed to that narrative like. No. Has always been like, no, we, you know, we were, we had this amazing friendship and musical thing and, and then I decided to do my own thing but he never put himself above, you know. No, and I think
1: Andrew Ridgely was, was far more confident than George was as a young man. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, it definitely wouldn't have happened without him.
0: It's quite cute actually, like Andrew Ridgely was like, you know, when you like moved to a new school, it was like, he was the one that showed George about school and then from that day it was like, that was it. It's very kind of romantic.
1: Um, and like by all accounts like as little schoolboys andrew was the like super confident like class clown mm. and george was like the little chubby like a bit shyer kid yeah um so i don't think it yeah i don't think someone of george michael's disposition would have necessarily found himself in that position had he. because he said he they signed a record contract about 6 months after they left school
0: yeah so intense yeah. like and and you know george, george michael was so his father was a first generation immigrant Greek, and because George's real name is like, Giorgio, Georgios, Georgios lovely, thing. yeah. And his mum was English, and but like quite like working class folk, and like, you know, yeah, he didn't, he didn't what what you see of George Michael in the in his height of stardom was. Very from hearing him speak was clearly you know not something that he was instantly in touch with you know yeah that wasn't the version of himself that he instantly was in touch with and yeah to to sign the record deal six months after you leave school it's like that'd be super intense at the height of the music industry was so booming then you know it was it was like, massive, we can make you a star yeah, you know exactly overnight and
1: and it was just that age of like excess and like um you know everything was larger than life and that the record industry was huge and there was money being thrown yeah, everywhere. Yeah, was money, money, money. And yeah. and these, they were like kids. Yeah. And it was like, but geez.
0: they set, what was lovely was, you know, George speaks of it like, they just had a laugh. Like, they had this sense of humour between them that was so schoolboy and playful yeah. and, like, hilarious. And that's all they ever planned to kind of portray in their music. So I think it's, you know, some people maybe write off Wham for not meaning enough and then some like think that actually they were up to something like bigger and actually it was neither of those things it was purely just them yeah. having fun Yeah, having a great time And, and that's I've, quite refreshing it's you know? so
1: refreshing and i think they both knew that it wouldn't wham wasn't a group that you you grew old with Mm-mm. it was a little moment and actually all it needed to be like for me right. it, that band the the visuals and the and the music just completely personified that time yeah
0: right would would not work now would not work now
1: and it also wouldn't work when they if they were both 45 yeah it'd be really cringy yeah Yeah. but it was
0: literally these fresh-faced
1: exactly and i i think the music's great i think it's very well written i think they're like well it stood the test of time as well yeah it's like the amount of times you'll hear like my mate tom is is like
0: honestly he came he came to me like a couple months ago was like i cannot stop listening to club tropicana yeah it's amazing like i can't i cannot yeah like I just want to hear it all the time. And it is. It's something you can't help but move to. It's yeah. just...
1: And of course, well, f- because we're, we're both in the in the little jazz world, we, our, um, one of the people that is involved in a lot of the, those Wham records is Guy Barker. Mm, yeah. Um, and I remember hearing a story where he said, um, he said to them at the first like, recording session that the name was, stup- it wouldn't catch on he said it was stupid yeah. and it was stupid to have the exclamation mark at the brilliant. end brilliant <laughs> and it was like actually it turned out to work alright for him oh them. that's amazing um,
0: shout out to Guy Barker for getting it so wrong
1: but <laughs> you can't get it right we all the time we love you um, but that's
0: so true actually Like, and I think you can hear that like especially going to George Michael's like older stuff as well like oh my god like there's so like you can hear like the level of musicianship actually like yeah absolutely the arrangers the orchestras like his voice like he didn't mess about it wasn't like throw, thrown together. It was like serious music being made. It was beautiful. Like.
1: Yeah. And I think he wasn't just um, a singer who would just kind of like parachute in at the soundcheck, sing and ha- wouldn't know the band, wouldn't know right. the arrangements and all that stuff. It was like, it was deep within him. And, yeah. you know, he talks, I've seen an interview, he talks about just like running home from school to put records on. He was just, he just loved it. loved like, it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's apparent. Like it's they're very well all the music is incredibly well crafted. Yeah. And especially like listening listening like chronologically, um all of his solo stuff is so like vulnerable and honest and yeah. like it just resonates so strongly. That doesn't come from someone who just thinks about this stuff superficially exactly yeah.
0: it needs to come from a real sense of care exactly and, and especially in someone's voice and a singer it needs to be authentic yeah but yeah briefly going back to wham a funny story that i heard was the f- when they did that top of the pots performance which yeah. was like the one like they were staying in this like really shitty like b or something that was like a it was had to sleep in like a child's bed or something and then like george Michael was like very open about the fact that he you know, it wasn't like money that he desired or like whatever, but he definitely wanted to be the star that, wanted to be he, famous, be, yeah. that he became. Yeah. And like after doing that top of the box performance he like went down to like the hotel lobby or something the next day like totally and like nobody recognized him <laughs> for like hours yeah. and he was fucking gutted fuming. and like i just love how open he is about that he was like yeah i was fucking fuming like nobody wanted <laughs> autograph or nothing like just yeah. on top of the pops the night before and i was like oh god you would be wouldn't you be like it's nobody know who i am um which i just yeah th- like that's what drew me like just straight in was like watching this interview that he does on the parkinson show and like straight away i was just like in love with oh him. absolutely yeah like abs- Like he comes on and the first thing he says he's like it's an absolute honor to be here like i've been yeah. waiting for years like you know i used to mom used to let me stay up late and watch this show and like He's like, it's just such a shame I had to get my Willie out to get on here, and like he just took control of that situation, and then it was an hour of just absolute delight. Like, he he was fucking funny, self-deprecating, but also confident, and vulnerable, and charming. And I was honestly like, you are the perfect. Person. was that the first m-
1: time you'd seen that recently yeah yeah
0: yeah so to to just yeah, that was the first time i can kind have of seen him publicly speak yeah. as well yeah about everything that had gone on and
1: because that was like that interview was massive mm. like huge i mean like parkinson was was one of those shows household Yeah, like you know everyone would watch it but it was also um they'd have proper conversations and a lot of people would have their sort of defining interview moments. For yeah, 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 yeah. A bit um, of an Oprah. Exactly. Um, and there was such an uproar when he was arrested. This was 98. Um, yeah,
0: let's explain what actually happened, maybe.
1: Yeah, so, um, so throughout Wham and throughout that first bit of his career, um, his... It was it was widely assumed and never um, sort of countered that he was heterosexual and it was a heartthrob to young women. Yeah, because that that was
0: the the, the marketing decision right that was made. And no. he
1: also felt like he c- couldn't really imagine telling his mum and dad, especially his dad. And also, I don't think he was shooting sure himself either. Yeah. Um. And so so we kind of fast forward to ninety eight and um. He is, he's gay. He hasn't chosen to tell anyone that, well, to tell well, the Well, the people that knew him, yeah. yeah. so exactly. So,
0: But, but then uh, he says an interesting thing about this because, so so, George Michael was out to his family and his friends. Yeah. And he was out to everyone that mattered, yes. <laughs> essentially. And he'd made, the, he'd, he'd, he'd decided that, he'd taken control of that situation. He was like, yes, I'm gay. And he says that, you know, the press played the game that the public did. And yeah. it was, it's kind of like, they didn't want to know in inverted course. commas. So, like, none of his largely female fan base that wanted to sleep with him wanted to know that he was in no, fact gay. But they not. kind of did know. And, like, and even though it was something that he was never desperately hiding. You know, it wasn't Th- about right. the people know, you know. And, and, and the press, again, you know, they kind of played this game with him of... Yes, he's a heartthrob, but also, you know, George Michael didn't wasn't hiding the fact that he was gay. no, he was, but he it was cat and mouse, Yeah, it, was yeah, cat and mouse thing, thing or... until they had their moment of the yeah. big scandalous story, which
1: um, and I think, well, t- we can maybe come back to to his kind of first relationship that because that was really sort of pivotal, but yeah, so in in ninety he was it was essentially like a sting operation where police officers would um kind of seduce men in order that they would um y- you know break the law in terms of like exposing themselves so um, right
0: so like cru- cruising yeah. in like outdoor spaces and public toilets is a huge part of kind of gay male sex life yeah and it's is something that I mean there's a whole history of it but right. you know it's not something that's new and it's and it's but he didn't invent it no and and it's also like you know part of me thinks you know it's it's because like people are in situations where they are forced to hide into oh, yeah, okay, but also that's sure. part of the, the part of the risk involved is part of what draws people into yeah it and whatever and and yeah so George Michael was in the U.S. in LA. Yeah, in LA, yeah, oh.
1: like in Beverly Hills, and this this very very handsome man said, "Would you like to come over here?" And he was like, "I absolutely would." Absolutely, yes. yeah. Um, and then yeah, it was, it was then a arrested. Up. And it was a policeman. It w- also it was like really shady, and like the arrest warrant wasn't supposed to be public, but it was yeah. So like on within and-
0: hours, there was an arrest report on the desk of yeah. tabloids. So News. it was all
1: very like, uh, like transparently sort of um, staged to be like yeah. that yeah
0: and like I love how unapologetic like he was about it he's like I do not know a straight man who if seduced by a you know incredibly beautiful woman would reject it like do you know what I mean so yeah like he is hu- a human being absolutely who acted on his impulses as any of us would and it's actually just a shame that he fell prey to the the, the bait, really. To yeah, absolutely. The, you know, to the framing, you know, which then meant he was publicly outed internationally. Yeah, so that was the it, thing. And yeah. that was the big
1: thing where they used it to out him. Mm-hmm. Like, it was this massive bit of news when, in fact, yeah, I mean, whatever, it hadn't... It's like, get over it. Exactly. Like,
0: gay people shagging a toilet. Yeah, like.
1: it's, it's fine, isn't it? And I think, so... I had seen, yeah, seen that Parkinson interview, I guess a number of times since it aired, but I hadn't seen it for a while. And so when you sent it to me, I watched it again. On the one hand, so I always remember it as being a time where I thought there is such an incredible human being who is owning himself and Mm -hmm. is not apologising. And is able to like the fact he just went out for dinner straight after it, and he just made a joke. Yeah, out of he
0: bed, took right? control over a situation like when the paps were like surrounding his yeah. house. Like he could have head indoors, but he just walked down to like, a restaurant right. and had dinner. Like. Yeah. That is that thing about being un- unapologetic is so important. I think, like, yeah. in terms of how he dealt with it,
1: definitely. And I think, um, I, I yeah, I was like a, I was young, I was a youngling then, mm. and that's a that's a very inspiring message. But also, I don't think it should be underplayed that, um, that sort of shame and scandal was massive in the nineties. Like, that was a time where we were like. Politicians were involved in sex scandals. It would mm. ruin their career, yeah. right? So any, th- th- just and also we're like,
0: not even just talking about a normal scandal here. Like the the actual backdrop of this press release was, you know, the AIDS crisis hangover. Yeah. We had closed Twenty Eight. Yeah. was still in place, and the age of consent, consent was still higher than that of heterosexual right, people. Right, exactly. So, like, th- you'd all these bits of, like, discriminatory legislation in, pace, in place, which, never mind the societal attitudes of the time, mm-hmm. to then have it plastered on every major newspaper that you suck dick, yeah. when you've not been in control of that information, like, yeah. that that would break someone, and I'm, I'm absolutely. absolutely astounded at how he took control of his narrative
1: and I think looking back now it's easy to to maybe underplay that a bit because I think we're w- luckily we've, we've kind of normalised we've shifted so much yeah. in
0: such a short space of time but actually like that yeah. was mass. I mean like it, no one had that even, had never happened to anyone
1: no one had like. like the the world at large had not even like um, publicly acknowledged that anyone had sex as right. far as I can tell right yeah. at most like one man one woman yeah. had sex but, but that was sort yeah. of it and watching it back, and so that that always sticks sticks in my mind. And also his the way he talked about um, like marijuana use was also really inspiring to me. Mm. Um, the fact that like uh, he just sort of said and way ahead of his time, like what is wrong with it if it's you know if it if it's used recreationally, alcohol is a very very dangerous thing, and that's not you know he sort of questioned the legality of it. Um, and I watched it back, and I I still think. Um, he was forced to apologise more than he should have. Like, he said, you know, well, I'd had a hard few years, Anselmo had died, my mum had died. No one has to die for you to want to look at someone else's penis, right? One
0: hundred percent. No one has to die.
1: You don't have to have any, like, emotional justification for your sexual preference. And it was like... It was like it was tempered down, and I I really believe that either society kind of broadly had meant that that happened, or someone very specifically asked mm. for
0: that to happen. I think what was what was good is he didn't apologise for what he did, Mm-mm. but he gave explanation to why he fell victim That's to right. what happened. And he said he so a bit. I, reckless, I think so. he what he was saying was maybe I wouldn't have fell in this trap if my head hadn't been a bit mince yeah. due to the stuff that had been going on. But you're totally right, like there doesn't need to be a, ju- you know a justification like like cruising is part of gay culture sex is part of gay culture like i hate this thing of like lewd behavior oh you know, it's, it's just like ridiculous the, the the permiscuity and and that somehow that then justifies the AIDS crisis that that yeah you know you had it coming like you know actually like that could like i just don't believe in that narrative at all and that is exactly the type of agenda that was being pushed with all the legislation that was in place Absolutely. at the time, and by the media, and I did I find it refreshing that he didn't apologise for what he did. He wasn't like, "I'm sorry." Yeah, it was almost like, "I'm sorry I got caught." You know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Which, you know, and
1: and then so I watched it, and I and Parkinson says in that first in the '98 interview, in a way, do you think you sort of wanted to get caught so you could be outed? Right. Right. And at the time, I thought excuse me? That's not a good question. Mm. Like, that's all a bit ropey. And like, and he says at the time, I I I would have preferred to run naked down Oxford Street, shout I'm gay, than get caught the way I did, arrested. Dope stupid. But later, he's on, I think, uh, in like 2007, Michael Parkinson apologises. And he said, when I asked that question, that was quite a naive way of trying to understand something I don't understand. And I thought, how very brilliant that you did and addressed that. It was part of a very different time where if you're in the public eye, I'm allowed to ask you whatever I want. There's that ownership of yeah, you. Your yeah, you're ours, you're not yourself. Yeah. And I think then the tide had turned even in that sort of like eight or nine year gap where it was like, yeah, I'm sorry, that was maybe a little bit, you know, kind of, that wasn't very sensitive. Um, but like he said, he was like, would I be here getting a whole hour on Parkinson? Yeah,
0: well, he's <laughs> very not. good at He's so cheeky and charismatic that he... he, he he used it in the most beautiful way yeah. to 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 take control, and like he's so well loved. Like this has just happened, and they won't stop clapping him. Like everyone's laughing. like everyone fucking loves him because yeah. he's so real. Like he didn't, and and you know, I think Parkinson's like, oh, would you worry about losing your fans, or whatever? He's like, no, because I I people believe in people, and I know I've connected with people. Mm-hmm. Beyond the point of them being shallow enough to desert me now. I I know I've made a connection to people because of who I am.
1: And then, uh, most gorgeously then, he made the video for Outside. This... Right? Which is one of the most artful responses to um, someone trying to shame you that I've ever seen.
0: Fucking incredible. Let's talk about this because this is incredible. So, after this event that had happened... um, George Michael then wrote this song called Outside, which is like a big hit. And the video kind of depicts this whole experience. And it starts off as this kind of like old school like porno style film. And he uses the officer's name, right? Like
1: Andy um yeah, so he's like, dressed as a, a like a porn cop. He's sexually, dressed as a right?
0: porn cop, which is a great which- like um, yep. hilarious statement anyway and like towards the end of the video there's like cops like getting off with Their each kitten, other and, all that, and yep. it's amazing but at the very start it's like a, a heterosexual depiction of this event so like a woman seducing a man and him being unable to say no um, in like a public place and then um, like he credits that like the police officer's name was like something and he he changed it to like Marcello Offenvanking and, <laughs> and, and then like um, like just like things like that, so clever. Like that comes up as like a big credit, you know. And it's like absolutely brilliant. And MTV when they heard the video blurred that they did. out. I remember. And then it's like what the fuck? Like to think that they blurred that out, which was an imaginary word, but they didn't blur any of the fucking the word wank after all the or the um, they didn't blur that out after all the press that had been surrounding this incident, which was like you know George Michael takes up Mars or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's exactly. like Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah, like. Yeah absolutely nuts but yeah I, it was an absolute piece of art that video because it was so like here I am dressed as a cop sexy as anything and there's like straight people gay people like getting off and it's all like let's go outside like yeah. this. and then also like, there's these like there's nothing but flesh and bone it's like not being scared of yeah, sex yeah. like revolutionary it, amazing and revolutionary. you know
1: I think um, shame and embarrassment is one of the most profound Profoundly, sort of powerful tools of oppression. One hundred percent. And uh, it it is so pervasive, and we're sort of taught from a very young age to feel sh- ashamed and feel embarrassed. And um, things like that, when you try, when there's scandal and there's shame, when people at large try to bring you down, c- can really destroy people and can really destroy people's careers and their mental yeah. health and all. The way he. Took it and made it his. is is like a masterclass yeah. in how you remove all the power from shame and embarrassment. Yeah. You it, that balloon just deflated, and suddenly and and he people were laughing with him. You know, because he said he said, "You have got to be able to laugh at yourself. Everyone else is laughing at me." You know, like he just and he takes is hilarious. It. He's so funny, and it was so cheeky, and of course. He realises, like everyone else, apart well, aside from the people who make these decisions, that when you blur things out, when you censor things, that makes them more popular, more desirable. And yeah. he's, you know, because, and I remember also, like, they used to, if it was a, a bit of a risky uh, music video, they'd, they'd premiere it on Channel 4 at nine o'clock. And I remember watching Robbie Williams did one, uh, Yeah, nine o'clock. The one where he like rips his body apart as a he's like standing in the middle of a room. He's like taking his flesh off and bunging it about. I have
0: not seen (laughs) that one. Like, was it? Let me entertain you. It was
1: yeah. So he's like peeling his body off and bunging it about. And obviously Channel Four were like, right, we'll keep that till the night time. But also his um, his tune, shoot the dog, which was. Another incredible piece of satire um, about um, Bush and Blair and the Iraq uh, War um, was also then held back until nine o'clock, mm. and it was um, it was an animated video. It was like two D TV, which was like a sort of cartoon, sort of spit and image meets uh, South Park kind of thing that was on in the sort of early two thousands. Um, and again, there's like so those cartoon depictions of of Bush and Blair and Cherie Blair and George, and it's like. Those those lyrics are very very clever as well, mm. um, and like that alone, the fact that it was like in the the TV schedule, it's going to come at nine o'clock. Oh, it's coming at nine o'clock. That means it must be a bit risky. Viewership would have been fucking massive,
0: one hundred percent.
1: And it's like never never fails to astound me that when people feel morally outraged about something. They go about it all the wrong way to try and to stop it. To make it, it even fucking you know? yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: better, I know. They're like perfect yeah. PR
1: people. All yeah, of yeah, ways, absolutely.
0: You know? Just keep doing what you're doing.
1: <laughs> Everyone loves it, yeah. Um, totally. So, yeah, he. I mean, that was, like, completely brilliant, the way that he handled that. And, yeah. I mean, 98 wasn't the last time that the press highlighted his... Um, his life in in less than uh, positive terms either you know Um, and like he he had to deal with that a lot I mean a lot of people in the public I do but I almost think to your point earlier that you never you were aware of him but never sort of felt it I think the way he's depicted sometimes prevents people feeling it like that I
0: agree I agree everyone just thinks he's this another kind of broken turmoiled pop star but like He was so much more than that. Like what an artist. Like what a singer. What a fucking beautiful human being. I mean, the amount of money he raised for charitable causes as well. Like and like he he was fifty-three when he died on Christmas Day. Fifty three. Like that's really young, you know, and like to think what he did, he he literally did change the world. He is a gay icon and, and a astounding musician and person and yeah, like it's it's amazing, you know.
1: He, I remember that's like a flashbulb memory. I remember I, that Christmas day, um, I'd cooked Christmas dinner and then I'd gone for a nap. And my brother came and woke me up and he said George is dead, and I was like, which George? George who? the fuck's like, George? <laughs> um, and he's I th- I we have an uncle called George and I was like George and he said know George Michael and I was like, oh shit! Oh
0: my god!
1: Like you don't. He was fifty three.
0: You're not expecting that. No, yeah. I mean, there's
1: people on my sort of worry list. Yeah, like David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just yeah. check in, make sure he's. Yeah, right.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But George was not on my radar, no. and like, we, I, I just, it took me actually even now, like when we were doing getting ready for this episode, it was like it took me a while to get round to like watching some of that footage. I still find it incredibly upsetting that he, he went so early. Mm. I. And, like, the stuff that came out afterwards, his sort of extraordinary generosity that came out look, um, was
0: just... And then it's like, oh, now the press reports. Oh, yeah, no, now yeah, he's mean? your favourite, is he? Yeah. And,
1: like, I think that's the mark of him. Like, I don't know, I'm sure you will have seen some of the stuff, like, there's a woman on Deal or No Deal and she wanted to win, she wanted to raise money for IVF, and he phoned in and he gave her the money for IVF. And, like, mm. there's a woman, a woman crying in a cafe cause she was worried about her debt and he gave the cafe owner a check and said, when I've gone, you know, would you give it to her? Uh, all, uh, all of this, that's not the only two things, like huge amounts of uh, money given Salesforce to age charities. And, and if it was me and someone would like, the press were constantly down my throat for what I was doing and You'd what I was wearing, I'd back. be like, Say, excuse be like, me, I just gave 25 yeah, grand to a yeah, yeah. Never. It was like he volunteered and he, and he said, please don't tell people I'm doing this. I'm just like doing it properly. And I just think, what a gorgeous, lovely angel, yeah. you know? And, like, he never got the press he deserved in life, no. you know, until until he died and then everyone was like, oh, my goodness, oh, we'll all celebrate him after
0: that. Yeah, it's so know. true, that, actually.
1: Um, but, like...
0: And you're right that that press coverage prevented people from getting to the heart of him straight away.
1: Yeah, because I he think. becomes a joke. He becomes a, a punchline. A
0: washed-up celeb.
1: Right, so, you know, that, that was a really big cultural moment when he was arrested and mm. I, I tell you, a lot of heterosexual people, it blew their minds that cruising was a thing, Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> <fucking> <laughs> wake up! Wake <laughs> me up before you go-go yeah, exactly. because this happens, honey, get used to it. Holy,
1: totally, they do, what? And, uh, like, so, yeah, so a lot of people connect him in all these ways when, that when in fact, that sort of distracts from the fact that this songwriting is absolutely mm. incredible. Um,
0: You mentioned relationships earlier and i know there's a song is it jesus to a child that's about
1: And there's quite a few there's there's
0: because his partner died right
1: anselmo died yeah there's a yeah. song called please send me someone which is right. for him which is like the most heartbreaking thing that one of the lines is please send me someone to love as much as i love you mm. which is like because he said he said in an interview to be honest he never really thought of himself as gay or straight or anything, he didn't know. What yeah, he'd he been with
0: women, he'd been with men. You know, it, yeah. sexuality is something that's fluid, and and uh, you know, but he definitely identified culturally with the, the gay thing. Yeah,
1: and he said he was doing a gig in Rio, and it was like massive, one hundred sixty thousand. There was a man in the front row, and he said, "When I saw that man, I knew I was gay."
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> like yeah, that, that was, there was a seminal moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And
1: uh, yeah, so he had this relationship with Anselmo, and I think it was like. He talks about really beautifully is this, you know, this period where he 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 was in in Brazil and in LA and he didn't he wasn't hiding it from anybody and you know and they were um, they had this like really lovely time and he's and I don't remember seeing this until this week he um, just before he like Anselmo came to him and said I have to go to the doctors for this test and he left the house and George Michael said he looked up to the sky and he said don't you dare don't You mm. dare do this to me, I know. you know?
0: It's so cruel. And
1: and and he was sitting over Christmas and they were waiting for the test results over Christmas. And the aunt told his family about him, and he's like, I'm trying to figure out whether to tell my family about him, whether to tell my family he's potentially terminally ill, that mm. I'm potentially terminally ill. It's like a huge, massive thing. Yeah. And of course, and he and he was, and he did die of he did die of a, a brain hemorrhage related to AIDS. And um, like, first, he's all he had always said, and he's very open about this as well, He was very uncomfortable with a lot of celebrity and fame and money mm-hmm. you know i think wanted to be famous but you didn't necessarily want all the sort of invasive
0: bits well, that says i you know. feel like you can you can want to be a be like a renowned. Star yeah. renowned and leave your mark on the world yeah. without wanting you know with still wanting to be able to go for a craft cheesy pasta box on a exactly. Sunday and the Joggies, you know or not be publicly outed or, or those bits of your life those Fucking cruel moments yeah. that the world throws at you to be able to live them out Absolutely. in a way that we would, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah, is completely not what you sign up for. No, know?
1: and I think you don't. He's always been slightly uncomfortable in himself, and then he'd found this relationship, and I guess it was this like blossoming sort of. You just want to
0: have that for yourself, don't yeah. you? That thing that.
1: And he said because he's a. um So, of course, it was around the time, so that was around the time Freddie Mercury died. Yeah. Um, I remember that too. I remember the press conference where Freddie Mercury announced that he had AIDS. Mm. And the next day he died. And I I remember saying to my mum, like, my God, it's so sad. Like, he only knew he had AIDS for a day. Oh! (laughs) That's so And uh, she's like, no, no, he knew. He was just letting people know. I was like, all right. Um, But, like, yeah, and then the pr- the press called George for a for a for a statement on mm. Freddie Mercury, um, and he said he was just sobbing, and of course, like he was incredibly sad Freddie Mercury died. But he was actually crying because Anselmo's was dying, yeah. um, and like that. Well, it's like
0: everywhere you turn, your oh, friends, your lovers are, are that, going exactly. It's like, oh my god!
1: And uh, that performance where he sings with Queen, he does that tribute show mm. after Freddie dies. For a start, I mean his voice is massive and yeah. it's a big job to fill Freddie Mercury's shoes, but Christ Fuckin alive, if anyone he could... gave it guns, like yeah. he went for it and and he said like there was so much sort of pain that he was going through and he just had to channel it into this performance. I tell you what, it fucking worked because that was one of the most powerful mm. performances, like it was just huge and then that became, like they did release that as an, uh, an EP, those, those kind of live tracks but like there's a there's another thing, like this kind of pop thing about sometimes people um, can't really do the live thing because they can do the studio thing. Yeah. But the live stuff is a very, very different game altogether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, well, incredibly exhausting as well to yeah. do a show like that. And there's... Someone like George
0: Michael can fucking do it live. Oh yeah, and Freddie could too. Oh I mean, yeah, that's the thing. To me, I was thinking about the most. Yeah, I was thinking about Elton John and George Michael and Freddie Mercury, and was just like, to me, they're like a family of yeah. like British gay icons that, who were stonking musicians. You know, yeah, absolutely. And who are you know still, but like just yeah, like. Fuck me, and could do the live thing, like have the show, but the voice yeah. and the songwriting and the oh, they.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're real. They are real treasures of like, like British music history. Yeah. Those yeah. two people, um, and yeah, what I said at the start, that Tracy Emin had a connection. So uh, George Michael collected a lot of art, right. and um he collected a lot of YBA art, a lot of young British artists. So like Tracy Emin and um, Damien Hurst and that mm-hmm. sort of gang. Um, and he and Tracy Emin were close friends. There is actually a Tracy Emin neon that says George loves Kenny oh. um, that he made, that she made for him. Um, and after he died, there was a big art auction for charity. They, they auctioned off um, his collection. And I remember, like, looking through it. Um, and again, like, so he was buying work from living artists. He was, ma- like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Com- Like, fully direct support of artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he had an amazing collection, like, Tracy and stuff. There was like Michael Craig Martin pieces. Um, like looking through that collection was incredible. And actually Elton John similarly. There's an Elton John uh, episode of Talk Art with Russell Tovey because he has a massive photography collection as well. Mm. Um, and like I remember him, George saying like he didn't really know what to do with the money when he started to make lots of money. And. That that felt to me like just a really sort of beautiful thing as an artist to then go and support other support artists, support other work. artists, yeah, especially they're while
0: amazing. they're alive, you know. Because there's one thing collecting art, but actually to directly to to support people while they're living and to support young artists, that yeah, yeah absolutely,
1: um, yeah. So that, that that raised a huge huge amount of money mm. um, that then then went to charities, you know. Um, so like I. I'm really glad that now people realise there's more to him than the toilet.
0: Yeah, exactly. But in what a fucking one, uh, one little quick
1: disappointment that it took this long. Yeah, and it took took this as well.
0: I know I'm disappointed, like in my own. You know, like I I just I'm like, oh, I get it now. I finally get it. You know. Yeah. And yeah, just listening to that fucking voice the more the more you understand of his life as well the more you hear it in his voice and it's just yeah, so beautifully it's so strong like the instrument so strong but there's such a vulnerability and softness to it at the same Definitely. time and it's just like oh my god and then, like, the, I feel like the people he chose to duet with as well. Like, there's obviously Elton John, but then there's like Aretha <laughs> and that like, Mary J. Blige. Like, him and Mary J. Blige singing as the Stevie tune, and it's like, yeah, two like pained souls, just like, oh, and I'm like, oh my god, this and him amazing. and Whitney Houston, yeah, like right, just all of that like troubled, like big voices, like everything I love, yeah, to be honest,
1: yeah, and like I think. Re- again like really artful like he was he was working with the the big yeah the, it wasn't just like i, I i'll i'll want to remain relevant so i'll do all this stuff and i'll kind of bung stuff out there it was like no super focused you know like massive amounts of time between albums mm. like really i remember he he talked about um i guess he made the decision that what he found very very difficult was all the the promo stuff around albums Basically, to the detriment of being able to write or create albums, and he said to Sony, "I'm not gonna do that for um, Listen Without Prejudice. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna promote it. Basically, um, Sony were livid. Yeah. Um, and so the 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 first yeah, because he, he didn't he didn't want to make videos for any of the singles, Nate, and he didn't want to do all the junkets and stuff. Um, and the the first single he got he got the five supermodels to be in the video instead of him. So you got, like, Naomi Campbell and stuff, like, m- like lip sync in this mm. tune. Um, and he says, like, well, if you're not going to get me, I think those five incredible women are, like, a pretty good consolation prize. Like, I don't know what you're sort of complaining about. Yeah. Um, But, like, even then, he sort of had this mm. real self-awareness that this stuff could easily destroy him, like mm. it could destroy any of us, and tried to, like take steps to to stop that's it happening that's so you know? true
0: actually like that's pretty fucking amazing isn't it where most people would just be consumed
1: yeah and just be like this is inevitable yeah just have
0: to do he was things. like no I'm gonna try and do this my way yeah and he did succeed yeah mostly yeah
1: and I think I mean at that point when record labels there's this one moment in history that will never be repeated when Record labels were just so powerful, Mm. I think, to have someone go, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm doing this my way. No wonder they were cross. They've probably never been told no, ever. Exactly. And, like, he
0: is very open about struggling with certain aspects of his mental health, but I I don't even think that that's something that, you know, we need to highlight because everyone has mental health and, you know, whatever, but... Um, He amazingly, in that Parkinson interview, rebuts that he is given to depression. Yeah, he does. Which is amazing. He says, I'm not given to depression. Yes, I've had a fucking hard time of it, but I'm not defined by my... You know, and he never let his demons quite control it. He did take control of his life. He did have good self-awareness.
1: And again, in '98 to have a man talk openly about mental health was also massive so true like and that's i think why you get questions like are you given to depression i think people couldn't quite believe that that he was was coping but yeah struggling
0: and open yeah Yeah. totally it's like oh well surely you're fucked then right you're you're given to depression yeah and it's like this tortured artist thing and there's all these
1: kind of tropes but to again very easy to kind of underplay that looking where from where we are now looking back because yeah. we're in a much better position for the discourse around mental health to be really open it wasn't in the 90s no like it was like the only thing was you were either completely like at the top of your game and your life was brilliant or you were crashing and burning and the press were delighted to watch it and happen and that's what they wanted as him back but and yet, watch it burn. that wasn't him no and it was like oh you're neither of these and we're not quite sure how to like handle that you know you're um,
0: kind of a real person yeah and that's that's, that wasn't quite
1: that wasn't quite what anybody was expecting Um, so I do think and I think as we go on I think this all this stuff will become clearer like even beyond his like musicality that he he moved the conversation on dramatically in a number of ways you know if it wasn't for him and if it wasn't for his response to very common like press tricks if you like which we, we are run still run seeing today, you Absolutely. know, like
0: just because news of the world is gone doesn't mean that we don't see the press operating in the way that the insidious oh, ways that it does, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, George Michael's just an example of someone that really took control of their own narrative, yeah, and was themselves,
1: yeah, and, and, and
0: that shone through, they didn't lose their fame or their success,
1: yeah, because I think. You know, I think we are still such a um, sort of emotionally stunted nation yeah. in the way that we talk about sex. I think that's oh my God, still, yeah. like, a nightmare. Um And the shame that mm. surrounds, like, like, sexual the, the, life.
0: The stuff he had thrown at him um, absolutely was disgusting. And, like, the shame that you... I mean, we we still... If you grow up queer, you're still unpicking intrinsic shame that Absolutely. you will be carrying from birth. Growing up in today's society that has moved on so much, never mind growing up as he did, and that's on a personal level. Then on a career level, then it would be marketed in wham, as this heartthrobbing, and you know the, the trauma that is induced is quite severe. And and how he dealt with that, Pfft, bloody hell.
1: Yeah, because I think yeah, I mean the, the we are we are taught shame from a very young age, yeah. and we're taught to. I mean, you know, young girls are you taught are to wrong. like hide when they menstruate. Yeah, You're like the products yeah. about how to hide your tampons. Totally. Why? Why? Why are we needing to hide that? Like, yeah. and like, and so even even the the heterosexual. Like young people, there is shame around
0: right? sex, about around bodies, around that's everything. right, yeah, uh, you,
1: about like sexual practice, about everything. I mean, yeah. like, the we've got to a point where I think you know, which is like a throwback for hundreds of years, where like missionary between a, a man and a woman is about all we can yeah, do,
0: yeah, yeah, right? yeah totally um, it's purely for reproductive purposes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know?
1: Um, like, so there's so much shame, and there's shame around female pleasure, and there's shame yeah. of like all this stuff, and like, it, I, I honestly think that. At, that this shame is at the root of everything and you can really stop people um in their tracks by making them feel ashamed of yeah. themselves like you you really can and like the, even the other thing so who else was around so you had people like boy george again like definitely pushed forward well,
0: yeah but I, but all what was the thing in common in terms of how the media received these people was they just play on this especially with Freddy as well as like yep. this Kind of lewd behavior, this permiscuity, You know, you're all kind of just off shagging and taking drugs, and it's like, yeah, but aren't all the straight band members too? Like, and they're getting none of this bashing of of their sexuality of who they are. You know, this
1: is what I feel. What
0: What has that got to do with your sexual preference? You know, yeah,
1: I want to tell you know, I want to say to these people that like, yeah, so they're sort of convinced that the only people who like have sex or enjoy sex or um take drug you have any kind of relationship with drug use are complete deviants i yeah. want to tell him like listen i'm so sorry but uh, this is going to blow your mind but see your neighbor next yeah. door that you just see walking to and from his accountancy job like this isn't just this tiny group of people right this <laughs> is like literally your mind yeah. like uh, not only
0: no but kim it's fine if you're working in accountancy and you have your side hole and you do lines in the toilets sure you've got like a sex dungeon and you've got, to got get like yourself a sex dungeon Your kinky's is that's fine because you're making money and you're putting on the suit and you're putting on the face and you have your messes at home. Yeah. But um, if you're wearing incredible clothes and no. maybe a bit of eyeshadow. How dare you? No, how dare you?
1: Yeah, exactly. And so I think like that was so Boy George was really good at kind of shaking people out. People would ask him, are you a man or a woman? Mm. And they were sort of really flustered and confused. But... George Michael was still o- one of the only people that actually talked about sexual activity. So true, right? That w- that was actually open about this. Is I do this. I enjoy mm. this. This is this is consensual, and this is you know. Everyone else, there was a lot of um, there was like they were provocative, and and there was a lot of kind of allusion to this or that. Smoke but and mirrors, yeah. Not so like yes, I'm yes, I'm doing. That's
0: that. one of the things that struck me was just the directness. Yeah, it was and, amazing
1: and. But directness in such a a human way, like you say, like you cannot help but love someone like mm. that, you know. Because um,
0: we do, we love vulnerability and and truth, and we kind of love an underdog as well. Like there was totally. something about him; he never gave up the fight with yeah. the industry and the press, and he just went, "Fuck you, I'm gonna fight this," you know. There's, but mom, in my own way, on my own terms, and I'll I'll be in control.
1: My mom has this DVD that is on a, a lot, uh, which is. I think he's at is he at Wembley can't remember I can't remember where he is but he's getting rid of the, it's like the behind the scenes before he does a big stadium show Um, the car drives him to the stage entrance whatever and the security's like no you can't get in because we're, we're this is closed off security because we're for George Michael and uh, the guy in the car's like yeah well I've got George in the back and he's like no you don't and so George like puts the window and sort of hangs out he's got like a cap on he's like I am George Michael and he's like no no he's like, I don't believe you. What it. the fuck? <laughs> and George is like laughing and he's like, oh, honestly, I honestly am. And he's like, nah. And he's like, okay, and George is like, okay, fine. We'll just, we'll go to another interest. And he's like giggling about it. That would really throw a lot of people, yeah. right? If you were like, what the fuck? Um, but like, even there, just like, really good at being able to like, see the funny side of things and yeah. not be like, you know, not like that, like, because he does say, oh, yeah, I've got a massive ego. He's, he yeah, that that's what's Parkinson's so refreshing, thing. yeah. And he says, like, I've got to be careful because I can let that ego, like, take over. Yeah. He seemed to be really good at keeping that in check, actually. Yeah. You know, more so than other I think some
0: other people, by you know? acknowledging it, you're then better at keeping it in check. Yeah. I like, like, yeah, I can get a bit carried away with myself, so I'm going to make sure I check myself. But whereas if you're denying that you ever do, then exactly. you're more likely to be a cunt.
1: You, like, shine a little light on it and suddenly it's yeah. not as, like, powerful as, totally. as you thought it was. Um, oh, George well George. done. Um so yeah we can we can share some links to those Parkinson interviews are really great. Yeah,
0: I would just say everyone should watch them like it's just so enjoyable like it just made me really emotional warm to my heart. Yeah. Amazing viewing. Yeah.
1: And and those music videos for yes. example The Dog those are great as well. Yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll share that cuz this is there's a lot of brilliant like YouTube wormholes you can fall yeah. down. Yeah, I
0: wanna. I'm what I'm taking away is I wanna be more George Michael in my approach to life. I think
1: absolutely. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um,
0: That's my promise to myself.
1: So well, we've got a few new Patreon people.
0: Have we? Right?
1: Um, we've got. I m- my family's like showing up here.
0: Oh, my God, so, I need to get on the blog tonight. <laughs> I need to get on my WhatsApp group chat be like, guys, step the fucking pussies up. Right so now.
1: my lovely mother-in-law and my sister-in-law and my husband have all signed up. Uh, Jill Amazing. And Katie and Riley, that's very kind of you. And so we're actually at a point now where one of the first um, milestones we put on Patreon was that once we hit um, £25 a month, we would um, allocate a percentage of our monthly earnings and give it to support an organisation yeah. um, and I think what we'll do is we'll kind of you know we'll mix that up a couple of times in a year or uh, every few months or whatever and um, kind of really nice to hear from people about you know future organisations that would be good to to kind of donate that money
0: absolutely give us your ideas people
1: yeah um, but yeah, so thank you for helping us reach that first milestone. And it does feel good to now be in a position where we can give a little bit to, to an organisation. It does.
0: That, thank you all so much. That really is amazing that we've hit that milestone. Definitely. and it, it really means a lot that we are in a position to pass on yeah. the generosity.
1: Yeah. And so I guess that... Um, yeah, so your, we, we talked a little bit about where we would put that money, didn't we? Um, Which, which was just to support... Um some organizations that are supporting Palestinians in Palestine,
0: yeah I just think that the disproportionate amount of violence on the Palestinian people at the moment is is really heartbreaking and anything we can do to help um it just directly you know I I would just jump on that opportunity I think obviously the situation is incredibly complex politically, but if you'd simply boil it down to this is not a balanced fight. This is, this is, yeah, yeah. Really, th- these people need help now. Yeah. Human yeah. beings need help. Yes. Buildings, homes have been ripped apart, people have been killed, murdered. You know, it's, it's yeah, I, I'm just putting that out there that they need help now.
1: Yeah. And there's, I've seen a lot of really great um, people on Instagram and Twitter and stuff really um, kind of, helping inform the rest of the world mm. about what what's actually happening yeah. again it's it's hard it's hard to navigate how you like deal with the media and where you get your information yeah um and because it's just,
0: this is all part of the the conflict as well you know that it's, they literally tore down the al Jazeera building right. and, the, and the structures that are media outlets that would support the palestinians right?
1: exactly and so i think and I saw something that said like before you before you speak or before you post about what's happening in Jerusalem, ask yourself, is this gonna move us closer to peace? Or are you yes. just starting something that's gonna, you know, descend into the worst part Wh- of the Which internet? is why
0: I think it's really important as well. I have seen some horrific, really kind of anti Semitic comments being made on posts and I just thought what we're talking about here is a movement towards peace and like anti-semitism should have no place in your solidarity with Palestinians you know it's or, yeah. or, or in your or in your anti-zionist kind of view it's just like what like surely it's like it's like from one persecution to another it's like yeah, we absolutely. need to we need to have the same level of solidarity with people everywhere yeah you know and i think and that goes for palestinian people too you can't say black lives matter and then not support palestinians right, right. it's like you need to and i think like
1: all. we yeah i think we do we definitely need to dedicate well probably at least one episode to, to what's going on there because i think it, it's if we can do something to just give some like entry level open the door to information about this is going to be useful i think we're yeah very, it's, heavy. it's not something that it, it's not helpful for us to be underinformed and just start running our mouth off. But Exactly, yeah. Um, but, like, to, and I think that's probably why we haven't really talked about it in the last mm. couple of weeks because yeah. it's, like, it's not going to add to anything meaningful no, I, if I, we just kind of throw it out I would there. I just
0: encourage everyone to look at where you get your information from because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, to learn and, and to see yeah. what people are saying that I trust. Exactly, I mean, yeah, yeah.
1: And, to, and to really try and... and and step back and to try and understand, like the this is a conflict. Is so much history behind mm. it. You you really try to just understand that Right now, there are people that need help, and that's the most important. Thing, and yeah. and, actu- and actually, there are there are Israelis that need help, and there are Palestinians that need help, mm. and there are people that don't want this conflict, and but their lives are you know. I, there was a tweet I said I saw that said. Um, a tradition that, that happened during the world wars that they've now started to do again is that people living in Jerusalem will send their kids to stay with different families. So if a family's bombed, they won't lose the entire family.
0: Yeah.
1: And I just think like...
0: Imagine having to make that decision in your life. I mean, that... It puts to in perspective, like, I've seen another thing, yeah, like, you know, families were all sleeping in one room so that they all, they together. all die together. This I mean, that just, I can't, I feel cold saying that you know it's like it's this is not this is so heavy and i yeah
1: and it's really easy because of the 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 scope and the vastness of it but when you see things like that which are parents which are like real people human people people of your age you can you you're the equivalent the only difference is about where we were born Mm -hmm. you think
0: and that's not a choice.
1: No, exactly. You think that their reality is something that's so, so different. And like th- things are changing all the time, and um, international response is changing all the time. But it's got so Yeah, like ways it was to
0: great home. to see these incredible women standing up in the US Congress or Senate or whatever it was and saying, we need to stop fucking funding this. Yeah, yeah. We are literally giving them the bombs to kill people with what the fuck
1: yeah so there's there's a lot a lot a lot mired in um the us and the uk's like complicity yeah 100 which we can sort of digest yeah. anyway this is a
0: whole other episode but yeah
1: but yeah so we've so what we'll do is we will like we'll make it clear we'll kind of share some information about which organization we're gonna support and then can spend a bit of time kind of highlighting their work Brilliant. and you know si- similar organizations um as well as i think if we or if any of you find a source of information that feels good and useful and reliable to share that around you know because um the the better informed we are some it's very very easy and understandable to get really overwhelmed with this and to choose ignorance because it's so stressful you're being bombarded with stuff. Yeah. So if you can help, say, if you find a website or a publication that feels solid, then tell everyone about it.
0: Um, Share resources, redistribute knowledge.
1: Right? Exactly. Um, so, yeah. George Michael. Well done, George Michael. We love you. Oh, one more thing before we go. Um George Michael was the name of my first pet. I there was Well, the first pet I was allowed to name myself, he was the guinea pig. Oh.
0: Um,
1: I think I got him when I was three or four. It was and a big fat one. Massive fat one, oh. yeah. And uh, I love it. they said, are you sure you want to call him George Michael? Not just George. And I was like, George Michael. No, it has
0: to be George Michael. We can't have any people not knowing exactly. that it's George Michael. And so
1: it's ri- it was written in the cage. And, and George was great, but unfortunately George Michael did in fact eat his own baby. In a turn of events that probably the press would have let. Did on. I know, I
0: was about to say, did that get printed in the sun?
1: <laughs> so, fucking hell. So, I mean, yeah. So,
0: He's a, homo- a homosexual <laughs> and a fucking cannibal. And
1: he eats babies. Um, yeah, so thank you, George, for your wonderful um, contributions to the world. And uh, see you later.
0: See you later. Goodbye. Bye, darlings.